0: We've been spending quite a bit of time in this first chapter, and there's a lot here, honestly, in this chapter, and we don't want to rush it. Last week we looked at verses 19 through 28, and we looked at John the Baptist's ministry. He was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He was the herald, if you will. You recall that whenever a a king or a, a, a magistrate... Oftentimes in the old days, whenever they would travel from place to place or whenever they had something to say, a herald, a person who was designed for that purpose, would go out in front of the king and he would proclaim what the king was going to do or what the king was going to say. He was going to get their attention. And really that's what John the Baptist's role was, was to get people's attention. He was to get the attention and get people prepared for the Lord. And so we looked at John the Baptist's ministry. This morning we're going to be looking at chapter 29 through 34. And I would be willing to say this is probably going to be one of the most important messages you'll hear from this pulpit this morning. Because it's so needed. And uh, it, it's something, honestly, I think in our, in our culture, in, especially in the church today, there's a lot of confusion. And if there's not any confusion, there's certainly a lot of fear. A misunderstanding about who the Holy Spirit is, and I think once we look at the passage we 're looking at you 'll understand what i 'm talking about let 's read it to um, let me read it to you and just follow along with me if you would john 's gospel chapter one verse twenty nine it says the next day john this is John the Baptist, not the author of the gospel, but John the Baptist, says the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him.' and said behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world this is he of whom i said after me comes a man who is preferred before me for he was before me i did not know him but that he should be revealed to israel therefore i came baptizing with water and john bore witness saying i um, excuse me and john bore witness saying i saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and he remained upon him And I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. This is the Son of God. And so John, again, is pointing, which is what a herald does. He's pointing to the one who is more important, If you remember when we looked last week, John, as the Jews were coming out of Jerusalem and all the towns, they were coming out to the desert, really, out to the Jordan, in that area, which is very desert-like, in the valley there. And he was preaching a message of repentance. And remember, they came out saying, who are you? Tell us who you are. Are you the Christ? Are you Elijah the prophet? Which is kind of silly, because Elijah had died hundreds of years prior. Are you you Elijah the prophet, or are you the the prophet spoken of in Deuteronomy 18? Who are you that we can go back and tell those who sent us? Who are you? And John's message was pretty much the same. He says, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the ways of the Lord. John was a herald. He was sent to prepare the people for his cousin, Jesus Christ, who would come onto the scene, preparing the way. Let's go back at verse 29. It says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him, saying, Behold, the Lamb of God, again, he's like the town crier in a sense. He's, hear ye, hear ye. (laughs) The king is on the move. His ministry is going to begin and what did John say? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. And that's exactly what John would do. He would, he would make things smooth. He would get things ready for the great king of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. And notice that John wasn't pointing them to himself, he was pointing them to the scripture, which is always a very good thing to do. Any pastor, any leader, any, whoever it is in Christendom, it's never good to be pointing your finger at yourself. Point your finger to Jesus. Point your finger to him. Point your finger to his word, because his word will not return void. It will accomplish all that it has gone forth. It will accomplish. Even if you ignore it today, you're going to remember it at some point, and God will remind you. And I love that about the Lord. His word has a has a way of resonating in your conscience and in your heart. And oftentimes he brings it up when you least expect it. Have you ever been sharing with somebody and you haven't really thought about a scripture in ages and all of a sudden it just pops out of your mouth? Is that a mistake? No. You like David could say I've I've hid your word in my heart. And that's what we need to do, and that's why it's so important to point to the scripture. His scripture, his word, is alive. It is not dead. It is alive. It has always been alive, and it's more alive than anything else. More alive than you and I sitting in this chair, if you can believe that. And he would also point to another Old Testament prophet, Malachi, who who prophesied hundreds of years before John would come on the scene, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And so John, this herald, is saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We see this, this title that John gives to Jesus. We see it again in verse 36, which we will look at next week. He says, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. And this ought to remind all of John, John the Baptist's followers as he said, Behold the Lamb of God, it ought to remind them of what? Back in, or back in Exodus, remember the Passover. As the Jews were enslaved there in Egypt, remember God was going to bring judgment upon not only Egypt and Pharaoh, but he was going to bring judgment upon the gods of Egypt. And what did he tell the Jews that faithful night? He said, take a lamb of the first year, a male without blemish. Take the blood of that lamb and put it on the lentils of your doorposts and on the sides. And what does it spell? It's a cross, really. When you do that and then you do that, what what have you got? You've got a cross. Even back then it was prefiguring Jesus Christ going to the cross, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when the blood was on the lentils of the doorpost, anyone inside that home was safe from the the angel of death that would pass over. And as a result of that passing over, anyone who was outside the firstborn of all flesh and of all animals would die. The firstborn. And you recall what happened to Egypt. They were faithless. They didn't believe in God And Pharaoh himself, along with millions of other Egyptians, lost their firstborn that night. But Jesus is the Passover. He's the Passover lamb. He took the the punishment for you and I, and under his blood, if we are in Jesus Christ, his blood being applied to our life through his death and through his resurrection, that blood cleanses us from all sin, and we have been made clean and pure in his sight. Do you feel clean and pure in his sight? Maybe some of you do. And praise the Lord if you do. Because you've got a clear conscience. But if your conscience is not clear, that's okay. Because that's what we're here for. That's what prayer is for. That's what confession is for, It really. Confess your sins. Confess them to the Lord. And be clean and be set free. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. And so many people are still shackled by... Past sin. And God says, why are you still dwelling on the past? Why are you still there at the grave clothes of that sin? Haven't I forgiven you that years ago? Then why are you still child of God bringing this up? Why are you still wallowing in this death when I have set you free and I've given you life? Some people like death. Some people cling to the grave clothes because it's comfortable. They've been in the world long enough, they want to hold on to it. Or maybe they feel that they can atone for their own sin. If I do enough good things, maybe I can be accepted by God. Well, that's not Christianity at all. In fact, that's just religion. Religion says you got to do this in order to be received and accepted by God. Jesus comes and says, I've done everything for you. All you need to do is believe in me, what I did on the cross for you. He's done everything, and all you have to do is believe. And boy, is that a stumbling block to most people. But Jesus is the Passover lamb. In Isaiah chapter 53, what does the great prophet say? He says, speaking of Jesus in that chapter, he said, He was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And we're going to see this as we look at Good Friday coming up. Next week is Palm Sunday. Next Sunday, and the following Friday is Good Friday. We'll look at the, the crucifixion, and then certainly on Sunday morning, the resurrection. But notice, he was as a lamb led to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, he opened not his mouth. And it says later on in verse 12 that he bore the sin of many. Jesus Christ is the Passover lamb. And he wasn't just the Passover lamb for the Jews. He was the Passover lamb for all people. In Luke chapter 2, it says, remember when the angel... Uh, of the lord was speaking to the shepherds in the field on that faithful morning or that evening what did the angels say to those shepherds in the field do not be afraid for behold i bring you good tidings of great joy which will be to what only the jews only to those who are good no he says good tidings of great joy will be to all people to all people in the greek all means only a few no it means all every single one of you every single person who has ever been born and then even in Luke chapter 24 Jesus speaking to the two disciples along the road to Emmaus what did he say to them Jesus said to them thus it is written and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to only the good people in church is that what he said No, he did not. If you're reading your Bible, you know. He says that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. He's the God of all, not just the God of the Jews. And the only way he could take away the sin of the world was through substitutionary atonement, which means someone is substituted in your place when I deserve death and hell, Jesus took that upon himself. And he's imputed to me righteousness, his righteousness, that I don't deserve. And he paid the price, the penalty that I did deserve. That is amazing grace. That is incredible mercy. That is why we worship him. That is why we worship him. The life and blood of an innocent substitute to cover the sin of the guilty. I qualify for that. I am guilty of sin. Are you guilty of sin? If you don't think you're guilty of sin, guess what? Then you have no need for a savior. But every one of us, the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So therefore, we are all in need of a savior the shepherd of your soul, Jesus Christ, the one who loves you more than anybody could love you. I love that about him. He loves you so much. And he did it once and for all. In Hebrews chapter 9, let me see here. In Hebrews chapter 9, what does it say? But Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once and for all. Notice, once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh... How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living in God? What an awesome message. And this, God the Father is pleased. He is appeased as well as pleased with the death of his son, Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 53, what does it tell us in verse 10? Yet it pleased the Lord to crush him. It pleased God the Father to bruise his son, to crush him for the atonement of all of us. It wasn't that God was some kind of mean father. He knew it was the only way. And the son willingly submitted himself to the will of the father. He willingly did it. In Romans chapter 3, verse 24, it says, uh, concerning all who believe in Jesus, the Apostle Paul said, said this, that we are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God sent forth, here's our good word for the day, as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. This idea of propitiation, it literally is... To be reconciled, to be reconciled, to conciliate, um, to be uh, appeased, and see God is not only appeased and satisfied with Christ being offered by means of the crucifixion, but because of his this propitiation that Jesus obtained for us, we are now also reconciled to a holy God. I would say that's pretty good news, wouldn't you? I know the way I was before Christ. And even as a Christian, God still has a lot of work to do. But I remember the way I was. I'm not that way anymore, but I'm not where I want to be yet. I'm in a process. Don't get discouraged, folks, if you're going through difficulties. It doesn't mean that you've created some great sin. God is sanctifying you. It's going to take time. It's going to take time. You've got to be patient. And just call upon him and let him do the work. Don't fight. Don't stress about it. Just Offer yourself to him. Offer yourself to him. You can look at those other two verses. They speak of this propitiation. But notice in verse 30 back in our text this morning, this is he, John the Baptist said, of whom I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. Now John was six months older than Jesus. So John was born first, and he was the forerunner. And certainly Jesus would come after there's no doubt about that. But John was also very aware that Jesus was preexistent. Meaning before he was incarnate in the Virgin Mary, he existed before then from eternity past. He has always been with the God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with him in the beginning. Our beginning, the beginning of the heavens and the earth and time itself. But before all that came to pass, he existed always. He's always been there. It blows my mind and sometimes my brain just wants to explode when I think about it too much. I would encourage you to think about it too much and let your mind get carried away. That's where your worship is going to be begin. It's where it's going to be begin. Be begin? Is that a new word? That's where your worship is going to begin. Because you're in awe of him. If you've got a God you can figure out, you, you know, you're in sad shape. We serve a God who is abundantly beyond our imagination. With our finite minds, we can't understand the infinite. We will never understand the infinite. Even in his presence, eons, millions of years will go by if there's even time in eternity. Millions of years will fly by and we will still be dropping our, draw, our jaws Our jaws will still be dropping in awe and wonder of him. Notice in verse 31, he says, I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. John the Baptist knew Jesus. The the scripture doesn't tell us how close they were. We knew they were cousins because John's mother, Elizabeth, was cousin to Mary. So John and Jesus, John the Baptist and Jesus Christ were related in the flesh. And certainly they would go up to the feast days three times a year and perhaps they spent time together. John was not unaware of Jesus, but he didn't know who it was that God was going to anoint to be the chosen one, the Messiah. And the Lord did reveal it finally to John. This is the one. And that's why John would look at Jesus and say, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world Follow him and all the people who are following John, John being that faithful forebearer, that that faithful herald. He said, there he is. I've been talking about him up until now. There he is. I must increase or I must decrease that he might increase. And John faded away. What a faithful servant. Great rewards waiting for him in glory. Even though his ministry was very short. But John knew who Jesus was, but he didn't know that he would be the one until the Lord revealed it. Verse 32, it says, And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven, lotus, like a dove. Underline that in your Bible, like a dove. He descended like a dove, and he remained upon him. A dove is a very peaceful bird. I've never known of a dove attacking people. George Hitchcock, when he made the movie The Birds, he didn't use doves. They're the most docile creatures around. The, the, the biggest thing you got to worry about is when there's a bunch of them around, you better cover your head. <laughs> but other than that, they're not going to attack you. Just keep throwing the breadcrumbs. But notice, like a dove. Movies. I remember Jesus of Nazareth by Franco Zeffirelli. My wife and I own this movie and it's a really wonderful movie. I, I, I enjoy it. There's some things that aren't quite right but, but you know it's a, it's a good movie but one of the things that it shows a dove literally coming upon Jesus but that's not really what happened because how, how can you describe the spirit of God coming upon Jesus how can you describe that unless you use a real dove cue the dove but the spirit of God just rested upon him and what peace and gentleness there is In other words, the Spirit of God, just as we sang earlier, he he gently came upon him and remained upon him. And when the Spirit of God is moving and in control, guess what? There is peace and there's gentleness. There's a rest. There's a rest. Back in 1994, many of you remember, there was a thing going around in the church called the Toronto Blessing. It started in the Toronto Airport Vineyard Church, which ultimately was renamed in 1996 because in 1994 they they attached themselves to this new doctrine of the Holy Spirit. They they first they were called the Airport Vineyard Church, then in 1996, 2 years after this weirdness, they changed their name to Toronto Airport Christian Fellowship, and then later in 2010 they just finally gave in and said, "Let's call our church Catch the Fire." Catch the Fire Toronto. I bring this up because it's important because people over the years have been confused when they see what the Spirit of God is purportedly doing in some churches. And yet in these meetings, these poor Christians, and I say poor Christians because they were being duped. The spirit, they would say, would come upon them and they would roll on the floor and they would, they would, they would wiggle through, they would, like a serpent, through uh, the chairs. They, w- they, they would hiss and they would flap their arms like, like a bird. And they would make sounds of animals and run around the sanctuary doing these crazy, aberrant things. And then there would be holy laughter where they would just laugh uncontrollably. Does that sound like the Spirit of God to you? Do you see that in the book of Acts? Do you see it anywhere in the Bible? I don't see it. Instead of them being God's masterpiece, what they were doing is they were acting like the creatures that are subhuman. They were acting like the four-footed creatures that God had made. Instead of being his masterpiece, his poema, his workmanship, now they've been resorted to this wiggling through the aisles and, and, and making noise and flapping their arms. And making animal sounds. I can imagine the Holy Spirit was very grieved at what the church at that time was embracing. It spread like wildfire. Many pastors wanted to get it, they wanted to catch it, they wanted to catch the fire. That's a fire I want to keep away. It became a circus. And unfortunately, it was imported into many churches. And we also see Benny Hinn in his antics. Remember him. I remember seeing him on TBN one time where he would shoot somebody with his hand. He'd be like, like that. And the person would fall and be slain in the spirit. And then he would take off his coat and he would stride like a proud lion on the stage. And he'd take his jacket and whack somebody with it. And they would fall down and start wiggling. And, and it's just like, are you, are you kidding? No wonder everyone's afraid of the Holy Spirit. Seeing aberrations like that, no wonder nobody wants to have anything to do with them. If that's really the way it was, I wouldn't want anything to do with them either. The only two people that I know in the New Testament who are slain in the Spirit were Ananias and Sapphira, and they were literally slain in the Spirit. God took them out because of their hypocrisy. In Ephesians 2, verse 10, what does it say? We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Workmanship, it's a poema. Whenever the topic of the Holy Spirit has come, has come up or been brought up, the devil has done all he could to malign it and twist it. Because the last thing the devil wants is for Christians to have the, a right understanding about the who, who the Holy, excuse me who the Holy Spirit is, much less walk in him. We're so afraid because we've seen so many bizarre examples. And and the devil loves to magnify the weird stuff. And of course, the newspaper and the media, they love it too. Look at those weird Christians. Look at how freaked out they are. Boy, they're foolish. And yet the Spirit of God is holy. He's just. He's peaceful. He came upon Jesus like a dove, so peaceful and gentle. And whenever the Spirit of God is really moving, there is peace, there's joy, there's rest. And nothing is out of order. In verse 33, he says, I did not know him. This is the second time he said that. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, excuse me, this is he, notice, who baptizes with the Holy Spirit baptizes with the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 16, while Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples, in fact, if you look at your Bible in the, in the Gospel of John, chapters 13 through 17 happened in the upper room that evening. All those events took place while they were in that upper room having that last supper. A lot of detail in those chapters about what happened that night before Jesus was wrongly taken and arraigned before the different magistrates and ultimately put to death. But Jesus said this in John 16 Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, he said this to his disciples. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. Jesus defined the helper earlier in, the, in, in chapter 14 as the comforter, the Holy Ghost the Holy Spirit. He says, I have to be crucified. I have to rise and I have to ascend to the Father because if I don't do that, I can't send him to you, the Comforter, the Helper, the Holy Spirit. I can't send him unless I go. It's to your advantage that I go. So Jesus is the one who dispatches the Holy Spirit. It is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit Jesus. The verse I just read you is proof of that. He goes to prepare a place. He goes, and he'll send him. He will send him. But there is a difference, and I want to share with you the difference between water baptism and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, because there may be some confusion. Matthew gives us the distinction. In Matthew chapter 3, it says, uh, verse 11, I indeed... Uh, This is John speaking. I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That's what he said. It's Jesus. And notice, in verse 13 of that same chapter, And the baptism of Jesus is is not really recorded for us in its entirety in the book of John, but Matthew gives it to us. In chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized of him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to John the Baptist, Permit it to be so for now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he allowed him. And when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. Remember, that's a simile. It means like something, like a dove. And it alighted upon him, and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. John's baptism was a a water baptism of repentance and remission of sin. And Jesus was water baptized by John not because he needed to be baptized. He was baptized by John to identify with fallen, sinful man. Not because he himself needed to, because he was perfect. He is perfect. There is no sin within him. He's the perfect, spotless lamb of God. So when we water baptize today, we don't baptize In the name of, you know, for repentance, per se, only. We baptize in the name of Jesus. We are baptized in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. In Romans 6, let me just read to you the first five verses. This will make complete sense, because that's what we do when we have the baptismal out here. And we look forward to doing that sometime soon. Paul says in Romans 6, What shall I say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. What shall we who died in sin live any longer in it? Or do we not know that as many of us that were baptized into Christ Jesus, notice, were baptized in his death, into his death, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we will also be in the likeness of his resurrection. And so that is the difference between, that is water baptism. That's what we do today. When we baptize, we baptize, when we go under, we're basically acknowledging our death in him. The death to the old self, the old nature. And when we come up out of the water, it's a signification that we identify with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As he rose in newness of life, so we too also. That's what that's all about. And certainly repentance is involved, but it's it's different. John's baptism and the baptism after Jesus was different. Now, let's. So that's water baptism, but now there is something else. To be baptized with the Holy Spirit is something completely different. See, you and I, when we were born again, the Spirit of God came inside of us. He indwelt us. And that's good. That's that's the seal of redemption. That's the earnest of our salvation until Jesus comes back to take bodily what he has already purchased on the cross. That's what happens in the rapture. When the church is raptured, we get a new body and we're taken bodily out of here. To be with him forever. Hallelujah. <laughs> Looking forward to that day. Would to God that it was right now. But unfortunately, I don't have that little button on my phone. That app. Rapture. That'd be a great. I bet it would... Well, who knows what would happen in the Apple store. Would it sell out? I don't know. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit is empowered from above the spirit of god coming upon you he's already in us but we need this other relationship with him we need to be empowered to do what he's called us to do to live the life that he's given to us to empower us to not only be bold in this generation that we live in but to share the gospel to be bold to share it you know the feeling when you share the gospel with anyone outside these four walls the 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 pressure is on And the tension that you feel, that's when we need the Spirit of God. We need the Spirit of God upon us to where we're no longer thinking about ourselves. That's a really good thought. Some people think, well, I need to think more of myself so my esteem will be better. No, listen, the problem with most of us is that we think too much of ourselves. We need to think less of ourselves and more thinking about him. That's our problem. That's my problem. Is it your problem? Raise your hand if it is. (laughs) Gotcha. But let's go to Joel chapter 2. Actually, you know what? For the sake of time, I'd encourage you to just write these things down because I'm going to read them to you for the sake of time. But Joel uh, chapter 2, verse 28 through 29, it was written about 835 B.C. Eight hundred and thirty-five. So, some eight hundred, at least eight hundred years before Jesus was born, it was prophesied. What did it say? And it shall come to pass afterward that I shall pour out my out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my maid servants and on my maiden servants I will pour out my spirit in those days. It was looking forward to a day yet in the future when Joel wrote this, and we're going to see that that day has already come, and we're going to see that shortly. But I want to show you the chronological process of how this works, and hopefully it'll be clear to you. So Joel tells us, God says, there's coming a day where I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Now fast forward about 800 years at least when Jesus is speaking to his disciples in the upper room during the Last Supper in John 14, verse 15, he says, If you love me, keep my commandments. And notice, I will pray the Father, and notice, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. He defines who this helper is the Spirit of Truth. He says, other words at other places, that it's the Comforter, the Holy Ghost, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For guess what? He dwells with you. The Greek word is para. He, he dwells with you, and notice, and will be in you. He's speaking to his disciples the night before he was taken. He says, the Spirit of God is walking with you, but he's going to be in you soon, guys. He's going to be within you. Within another less than 48 hours, he's going to be in you. Actually, it'll be a little bit longer than that. Three days. He's going to be in you. So Jesus tells them the Holy Spirit dwells with them and would soon be in them so the disciples would be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. They'd be born again. Because if you're not indwelt by the Spirit of God, you're not a Christian. Do you understand that? It doesn't matter if you do good things. What makes you a Christian is the Spirit of God indwelling you. Peter says that, I believe. Unless you have the Spirit of God, you're none of his. If he's not indwelt you, you're none of his. So the event that the disciples will be born again will be the night of the resurrection. In John chapter 20, it says, Then the same day at evening, this is John chapter 20, verse 19, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came, appeared suddenly in the midst of them, stood them, and said, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then his disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And so the Lord said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. We believe that it's at this time the disciples were born again. Were they going to heaven if they died before this moment? Yes, because they were believing by faith, but now they had the Spirit of God indwelling them. Where Jesus said, the night, uh, a few nights before that, he said, he's going to be he's with you, but he's going to be in you. This is when it happened, right here. The Spirit of God indwelt them permanently, which, what, which is what you and I enjoy. That the Old Testament saints, they, they didn't have that wonderful privilege. Because Jesus hadn't been glorified. The Spirit of God came upon them, but it didn't indwell them permanently like you and I have. Now go with me, or just go to, um, uh, to Acts chapter 1. After his resurrection, what does it say in verse 4 of Acts chapter 1? And being assembled together with them, he commanded them, notice, after his resurrection, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise, the promise of the Father. What was the promise of the Father? We read it in Joel, that he would send his Spirit upon, baptizing with the Spirit of God, filling with the Holy Spirit. However you want to phrase it, that's what it means. To be filled with the Spirit, to be baptized with the Spirit, means the same thing. He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Remember, after Jesus rose from the dead, there'd be 40 days that he would be on the earth, showing himself to many. And then he ascended into heaven, and 10 days later, on the 50th day after Passover, They celebrated Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks. And Jesus was speaking of that very moment on the day of Pentecost. but you shall be baptized. Wait for the promise of the Father. Wait for it. Go to Jerusalem. Wait for it. For you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6, therefore when they had come together they asked him saying Lord will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel and he said to them it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But notice verse 8, but you shall receive what? Dunamis. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He's already in you guys but you need to be empowered to to do the work that I have for you. And notice, and you shall be witnesses. The word is martis, a martyr. And a witness is somebody who testifies that something is true, do they not? An eyewitness, the strongest witness in the court of law. An eyewitness. You're going to be witnesses to me, notice, in Jerusalem, to me, <laughs> not of me, do you notice that? To me. I'm going to look and see what I've purchased and see what it's doing My spirit alive in you. I'm going to see the reward. I'm going to see the the, the benefit of what I've done in your life. You're going to be a witness to me. And trust me, if you can be a witness to God, you're going to be a witness to other people. They're going to see it. And in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So another reason this baptism of the spirit was so necessary is to make them a witness. Now look at on the day of Pentecost, the very day, Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. They were all with one accord in one place, And suddenly there came the sound of a rushing from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all, notice, filled with the Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. And what did they do? They began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there we were dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven, because it was the Passover season, and certainly they're going to stay there for the Feast of Pentecost as well. They were there. The place was teeming. Jerusalem was teeming with hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions of people, from every nation, Jews. So why did God give them the Spirit of God baptizing them to help them speak in languages that they haven't learned to minister to those people? <laughs> They were all amazed. They marveled and they said to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the ports of Libya, adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking what? In our own tongues, in our own languages. What? What? The wonderful works of God. Peter didn't know any other language. The other disciples didn't know any other language. But on that day of Pentecost, God says, there's a whole bunch of people here I want to get this message to. So guess what? He falls upon them and he gives them that ability. And all of a sudden they're speaking in different languages to people. And what are they saying? The wonderful works of God. Telling them about Jesus. I would say that's pretty amazing. And so they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What could this mean? Others mocking said, They're drunk, they're full of new wine. Notice that the purpose of the baptism was to empower, to share the gospel. They needed to hear this good news. And then Peter, verse 14, stands up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then he gives them what we just read earlier. He points them to the scripture. He doesn't make something up. He doesn't point people to himself. He said, this is what was prophesied 800 years ago. It's happening right now. Wake up. (laughs) It's happening. And it shall come to pass, he says, but this was what was spoken by the prophet Joel, it shall come to pass. And we already read that scripture, that God would pour out his spirit upon all flesh. And then from verse 22 through 26, Peter basically gives them a Bible study, tells them about Jesus and everything that happened in Jerusalem. And then finally in the 37th verse of Acts 2, he says, now when they heard this, They were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? They were completely blown out by what they saw. What shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized, water baptized, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children, to all who are far off. That's you and I, by the way. Do you know that promise is for us? Today. That promise is for us as well. All the church. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. I would say that's a good word for today. Be saved from this perverse generation that we live in. Has anybody recognized that we live in a perverse generation? Our culture is completely given over to Satan. Completely filthy. Everything is filthy. Our music is filthy. Our magazines, even good magazines, are filthy. TV programming is filthy. Movies are filthy. Everything is filthy. And then those who gladly received his word, notice. Peter baptized with the Spirit of God. He's got the attention. And notice, they gladly received his words, they were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added. Without the Holy Spirit, those words probably would have dropped on the ground. Have you ever given a speech somewhere, and you prepared for it, and everything was going well, and then until you started delivering it, and you realized, oh gosh, nothing's happening. It just falls flat on the ground. And then there are other times, and I've experienced this myself, where I'd be speaking, and I wasn't even aware of it. And all of a sudden, I just knew the Spirit of God came upon me. And it wasn't to glorify me. It wasn't to entertain me. It was to empower me for something I was going to share. All of a sudden, scriptures, I'm remembering scriptures. All of a sudden, there's like a lightning going through my body. Everybody felt that way when you shared the gospel with somebody? It's a wonderful feeling when the Spirit of God takes control and you get out of the way. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. Right? So where else? So when the Spirit of God came upon Peter, he became like dynamite. It was like a bomb that just went off. And everybody's eyes are open and it got their attention And see, that's what the Spirit of God does. That's why we need the Spirit of God. We need the baptism of the Spirit of God. Now, maybe some of you have been baptized, but I want to say this. It's not just something that happens once. It happens many times over your life, and hopefully it happens every day. I know for me it doesn't happen every day, but I know there have been times where I've noticed it because beyond myself, God was doing something that I couldn't have orchestrated. I didn't even plan it. I can't plan it. I can't hit a button and make it happen. I have to be available and willing and ready at all times. That's why the Bible says, "Be be um, um, be ready in season and out of season. Be ready with the Scripture in your heart. Pray when you wake up in the morning. Lord, is this the day? If you've got somebody that you want me to speak to today, Lord, arrange that meeting and empower me that the words I share are going to be life. That they're not just going to fall. On the ground in front of me, six feet in front of me. They're gonna plant great seed. And it's nothing I can do. I can't do it. Can you do it? Is there anybody here who can do it? I can't. We're dependent upon Him, and what a great place to be. It removes all the pride in, the, in everything, it removes the self centeredness. Now I become just a humble servant, which is a pretty good idea. It's a good idea to be humble to be a humble servant of God's. Do we see elsewhere in the book of Acts this filling of the Spirit or this baptism of the Holy Spirit? Certainly we do. Remember that after the day of Pentecost, Peter and and John went to the temple and they saw a man who was lame from his mother's womb and they said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the man did, and everyone was all abuzz And he began to, Peter and John began to share, and and the religious leaders were getting really upset because nobody came to their Bible studies except by force or obligation. But now they got the attention of all these people. And they're like, we got to stop this. This is horrible. (laughs) So they put him in prison. And notice in Acts chapter 4, It says and being let go they went to their own companions notice and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them so when they heard that they raised their voice to god notice they're praising God. They're exalting God. They raised their voices with one accord, and they said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea. This is pure worship. And all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David had said, why did the nations rage? Quoting from Psalm 2, why did the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stands. The rulers took their... Uh, were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ, for truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, and the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand had purposed beforehand to do. And then down in verse 31, it says, and when they had prayed, when they had prayed, after they exalted God and glorified him, the place where they were assembled became, together, was, it was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. again, Peter among them. It happened once on the day of Pentecost. It happened again. All those people who were in the upper room, it happened again. They were filled with the Spirit of God. So it's not just something that happens once. It happens many times. I pray that it happens to us every day. And it's not something we need to be afraid of. You don't even need to worry about it. Just pray for it. Say, God, just empower me. Wherever you have me, just empower me. Free me from myself. Free me from my own pride. Free me from my self-consciousness that I can get out of myself and I can be thinking about somebody else other than me. Thinking about others, thinking about Jesus. The place they were shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with what? Boldness. There's what we need. We need boldness. That's what we need today. So many are fearful about what people might think of me. see the problem it's about me again I'm afraid of what people will think about me what will my family think what will my friends think hey guess what you're going to spend eternity with the king of kings what what matters what they think about you right now who who cares really I mean when you get to that place where you are selfless and I'm not saying I'm there I'm I'm on on my way just like you I don't want to be I want to be selfless I don't want to be selfish. I don't want to be thinking about who I am. I'm nobody. But in his hand, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you believe that? I believe it. Notice in Acts chapter 10, verse 44. Peter, being in the house of Cornelius, the first Gentiles that were born again and that were baptized with the Spirit of God. What does it say there? And Peter, was while he was still speaking to Cornelius and his household, These words, and you can read about it in Acts chapter 10, the Holy Spirit what fell, baptized again, the Spirit of God filling or falling or baptizing you in the Spirit, it's all the same thing, it's an empowerment. While he was speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many as came with Peter because the gift of the Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they had heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And then Peter says, can anyone forbid water that these should not be water baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Notice how Peter made the distinction between water baptism and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's right there for us again. And then when Peter returned to Jerusalem from Cornelius' house there in Caesarea, when he returned to the Jerusalem, he recounted the event with the Jews, and he said this, And as I began to speak, and this is really important, folks, this verse. Paul's saying, as I began to speak, and he's recounting to them what happened at Cornelius' place. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning, and then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? The baptism of the Spirit of God fell upon the Gentile believers. And it happened in one fell swoop for them. Some people are born again, and then later on they're baptized with the Spirit, God empowering them to do something that he's called them to do. Some people, like in Cornelius' household, they were born again, filled with the Spirit, and baptized all the same day. It happened all at once. And it's different for every person Even the Apostle Paul experienced this in Acts chapter 9. After his conversion, remember, he was blinded by the light that had uh, brought him to the earth. And Ananias, remember, was the one who God had told him to pray for Saul and to bring his sight. And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, on on Saul or uh, um, uh, Paul the Apostle, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul himself. You can look at Acts chapter 13, verse 9. We're not going to go there for time's sake. But the same thing happens to Paul again. Happens to him again. So what about you? What about you? Have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I'm not going to embarrass anybody by raising hands or making people come down. You know, because it's of something you can't just make happen. It's gotta be you gotta be willing. Are you afraid of it? You don't have to be afraid. Don't be afraid of the spirit of God. Why why be afraid of God? He remember, he's God. He's not gonna do something that's gonna be really weird. He's not gonna make you slither like a snake through the aisles. He's not gonna make you cluck like a chicken and, and walk around, you know, like big bird or something. Do you want to be filled with the spirit? It's something that we need. It's something that we need. I love what Jesus said in John chapter 10. He said, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. And that's exactly what Satan has done with the Spirit of God. He's infiltrated churches and made it look like some freak show. And what does it say? And that he's a thief, he's stolen this from the church. He's stolen the, the desire to want to be filled with the Spirit because we're all afraid because we, we're watching too much TBN and watching Benny Hinn and all these weirdos that have been doing all these aberrant things. And we're all afraid. We don't want that. And truly, I don't want that. Not that. <laughs> but what I do want is the baptism of the Spirit. Any time that God wants to, are you willing to be, are you open enough? Are you open Do you want to be? Say, Lord, you know, as you wake up every morning, say, Lord, fill me today. Whenever you want. This is not about me. I can't press a button, but Lord, make me willing. I'm willing, Lord. Just use me somewhere, somehow today. I don't care what it is. I could be at Wegmans in the checkout line, and the Lord could come upon you and speak to you to minister to somebody who's in the line with you. Just that moment, the Lord lights you up. Why? To glorify you. No, because there's someone who needs to hear the truth behind you, in front of you. Maybe it's the cashier herself. A short little thing. You don't have to get all doctrinal and theological. Just, hey, Jesus loves you. He died for you. He loves you with all of his heart. Run to him. (laughs) Invite them to church. Invite them to church. What about your neighbors? Invite them to church. When's the last time we even talked to our neighbors? Get your holes off my lawn. <laughs> that was the last time you speak to your why don't you go over and invite them? Invite them to church. Invite them to Sunday morning. Invite them next week and, and and Easter Sunday morning. Take them next door prior. Take them to breakfast. Bring them. Maybe take them out to lunch afterwards. Do something. Invite people. Why have we stopped inviting people to church? Because we're too proud. We don't want to appear too weird. I don't know. Is, is that the issue? I don't know. That's something that we have to ask the Lord individually. But why don't we do that anymore? Do you like it here? Are we teaching the word of God? If we are, then why don't we invite people? They need to hear the message that set us free. They need to hear the same message. And it's not about building some great church. Believe me, big churches have big problems. So I'm, you know, I, I don't It's about the Lord. I know what he's done in my life, and I want to see him do that in other people's life because I've truly been set free. Have you been set free? But notice what he says. I have come that they may have life. The the thief has come. He's like a robber. He's come to kill and to steal, to destroy. But I have come that they may have life, and that they may have it more abundantly. Spirit of God, fall upon this place. We sang it. And it doesn't draw attention to ourselves, but to the one with whom our message is about. It's not showing off. Notice, when the helper comes, when I send him whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, notice, he will testify of me. The Spirit of God never brings attention to himself, and certainly not to any pastor or preacher or itinerant preacher or TV evangelist. It's not about them. The Spirit of God has brought attention to Jesus. He's not come to make pastors and preachers and television evangelists rock stars. And here's the verse for the day, Ephesians 5, 18. Be not drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. The idea behind this is to be continually being filled with the Spirit of God. Continually, ask for it every single day. Lord, fill me today. Whenever you want, whenever you want, God, I'm open. You know, there's something wonderful about an open vessel. Remember, we are the pot, he's the potter. That vessel, if it's all closed up, nothing can get in, but be open. Be an open vessel that God can use. And let him use your life. I want him to use my life. I've had enough time in the world Had enough time being selfish and and, and and running down those rabbit trails of sin. Have you? He loves you. He wants to fill you. Will you be filled? Do you want to be filled? Do not fear, folks. The Spirit of God is God Almighty. He's peaceful. He's loving. He's gracious. He's compassionate. He's all those things. Because there's a lot of people being filled with a lot of things today. People are being filled with a false joy, a joy that's based upon circumstances. They're filled with false hope, hope that is based on the temporal. Even a hope on a presidential candidate is a false hope. We're filled with entertainments, we are entertained to death. <laughs> becomes something we can't live without. It's a drug that we feel entitled to. People are filled with entertainments, and not to mention, but drugs and sex and alcohol and other vices. Also filled with comfort. There's nothing wrong with comfort. I love comfort. Believe me, I love in the mornings waking up and putting on my wicked good slippers. It's kind of funny, a, a wicked good slippers, but there it is. And having my Bible, my coffee, and sitting there in my favorite chair. I love the peace. I love the comfort of that. And I know you do too, and there's nothing wrong with that. But what are you filled with proportionally? What what is your life filled with outside of those things? Examine those things this week as we come upon this very important time of the year. Palm Sunday and certainly Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. But seek the best. Seek the Lord. Seek peace. Why would you want anything else? The flesh, the world, and the devil, they are all—they offer temporal things that make us feel good temporarily. But you know as well as I do, it never lasts. It always, you eventually need another fix. That's why drug addicts have such a problem. Many of them die because they get used to the same thing over and over again. they got to have something a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And the next thing you know, they're dead. Because they get a hot shot of heroin. There's a guy in my street whose son that happened to. And it's horrible. But what are you filling your life with? What is your fix? I want it to be the Spirit of God. I want to be high on Him. I want Him to fill me. I'm in my right mind. Isn't it great to be in your right mind? Isn't it a good thing to have a good conscience? Toward God and toward everything? To have a mind that's purified to where you don't see everything with a, with a twisted sense? Have you ever talked to somebody? And you mention something and, and they immediately associate it with something sexual. Maybe it, you know, and, and it's just like, Isn't it a wonderful freedom to not have to go through that? To not be thinking that way? To have your heart and your mind purified? It's a good thing. Why is the Lord the last one we run to? I love what it says in Luke, and we'll end here in just a few moments here. Thank you for your time. This is really a a wonderful message. I, I was so excited about this morning, and I appreciate your patience. But notice what it says in Luke chapter 11. Jesus said to his disciples, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. For everyone who seeks, who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. And here it is. If you, then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Ask him. Ask. Seek. And knock. Seriously. Do it today. It's not too late. Everyone says, well, it's too late. The day's almost past. Hogwash. Do it. There may be somebody on the way home today. You're going to stop at Chevron to get gas in your car. And there's going to be some poor young lady who's all tatted up. And you can tell she's just miserable. And you're sitting there pumping gas. And you've got to put like 50 gallons into your big you know, F-50 or whatever, F-150. And you're there for... Five, ten minutes. Just look over and say, hey, how you doing? Hey, can I tell you something? And you'd be surprised if we could just get out of ourselves the arrangements that God makes in our everyday lives and we just, we're not watching, we're not listening, we're not knocking, and then say, Lord, if that's your will, light me up. Empower me to speak words of life to this person. Because they need it. Because you're looking at them and they're living death, they're the walking dead. They need it just like you and I need it. Notice finally in verse 34, and then we'll take communion. John finally says, "And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. I have testified and seen it." And I love what he said in Acts chapter four, as they were before the magistrates. Peter and John says, "For we cannot speak the things we cannot, but speak the things which we have seen and heard." we testified. This is what we've seen and heard. I can't tell something different. I can't make something up, and I'm certainly not going to lie. If I see somebody blow through a red light and smash into some other car, am I going to say, no, the light was green? No, I saw the light was red, and they were on their phone, and they ran right through the light and smashed into somebody else. I'm going to testify what I've seen with my eyes. That's the way John was. John was a true and he was a faithful, wonderful witness. And we'll end with this. And then, uh, Sarah, if you can go ahead and come on up, we've got one more verse here. In 1 John chapter 1, what did John start his epistle off with? He said, That which was from the beginning which we have heard and which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, our hands have handled concerning the the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen, and notice, we bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us that which we have seen and heard we that which we have seen and heard we declare to you that you may also have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the father and with the son Jesus Christ and these things we write to you why that your joy might be full isn't that awesome i want to encourage you today to be open to not be afraid of the spirit of god He's not the boogeyman. He's not going to make you do something weird that's going to violate your conscience or violate the will of God. It's not going to violate the Word of God, I can tell you that much. It's not going to violate His character and who He is. He is holy. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Say, Lord, fill us today. Fill us today. And as Sarah leads us in a song of worship, just come on up and take the elements and come back to your seat and we'll take them together, okay?